Welcome to A World on Fire, an All-Star Squadron podcast. I'm your host, Billy D, and alongside me is my co-host, Herman Lowe. How are you, Herman? Hey, Billy. Yeah, I can't complain. I feel good, uh, you know, coming off of a, a nice weekend, a little bit hot here in the Far East, but uh, enjoying myself, you know, reading lots of comics as usual, especially um, like you and I do these days. We're on the, our DC kick with, uh, you know, All-Star Squadron, <laughs> and we're also reading some ancillary titles oh, yeah. that, you know, inform our uh, uh, reading of, of ass <laughs> of the All-Star Squadron. <laughs> so, yeah, man, I'm having lots of fun. Uh, what about you, dude? How, what have you been up to? Well, I've been doing the same, um, trying to not think about work as much as possible, even when I'm supposed to be working, which is always fun. Um, <laughs> and then... <laughs> Uh, I'm going, yeah, dude, you were saying, you know, reading a lot of comics in DC. I think from just being a Marvel zombie for so many years, I'm just like hooked on so many things DC right now. All-Star Squadron is at the top of that list, but then uh, all sorts of crazy horror and sci-fi and just bonkers crazy stuff from the Silver and Bronze Age is like, I'm addicted to it right now. It's it's like literally all I want to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I see you've been getting into lots of, well, you've you've had these comics forever, so you probably, this is your second read-through or, or maybe your third read-through, but I'm seeing a lot of Brave and the Bold on your Twitter timeline. I'm seeing lots mm-hmm. of Justice League. Uh, the Bronze <laughs> Age of DC was fantastic, and of course the Silver Age was in, incredibly insane. But oh, yeah. um, I enjoy both. You know, I love the Silver Age. I love the wackiness of, of titles like, you know, the Superman family titles, Lois Lane, you know, um, <laughs> uh, the Jimmy Olsen stuff. You and I are both big fans of Schaffenberger's art, art on <laughs> yep. Lois Lane. And then the Jimmy mm-hmm. Olsen stories were just crazy. He's an irritating, uh, you know, character, but I love the <laughs> storylines they cooked up. It's just so crazy, you know, doing anything they could to avoid pissing off the comic book code guys so <laughs> and they went to extreme yeah. lengths to do that and i'm also a big fan of the world's finest mm. um you know superman and batman teaming up and crazy insane stuff and then you Gosh. are a big you're a big bob haney fan and oh, i'm God. you got me into reading the haney teen titans from the silver age and the early bronze age mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is some mad stuff you know totally <laughs> off the wall <laughs> It's almost as bad as Gerber. No, not bad, I should say. Almost as brilliant mm-hmm. <laughs> as Gerber. So that's the kind of stuff we like. So, yeah, man, we, we've got a lot of um, DC love at the moment. I've always been sort of 50-50. You know, I was never a Marvel zombie exclusively. Uh, I think for when I grew up, horror, certainly among normal, you know, comic book titles still under the code, it was mostly DC you know, and then mm-hmm. the magazine side of things was supposed Marvel for me. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, so House of Mystery, House of Secrets, you know, Midnight the Witching Hour, that kind of stuff. Um, that was always DC for me, you know, where the horror was concerned. But, you know, Tomb of Dracula over at Marvel, you know, the non-anthology kind of titles, I think that was where my Marvel love stemmed from. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah, we couldn't really pick and choose, you know what I mean, Billy, because um, you, you kind of had to go to the corner store in South Africa where I grew up. You had to pick the spinner rack clean. Charlton, Marvel, DC, you had to do everything. So we didn't really, you know, have have these two camps. You know, we just mm-hmm. read anything we could find. <laughs> so, but, you know, I know folks, you know, in that I've spoken to since then, they grew up exclusively one or the other. And then there were the, the folks in between as well. I was very much in between. You know, I couldn't really say one company was better than the other. I could 
compare titles, you know, definitely. I, I loved comparing titles, you know, like, oh, Teen Titans at this point, at this era were better than the X-Men or X-Men at this point was better than the Teen Titans, you know. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I didn't really separate. And I, I, we just didn't get any um, sense of DC and Marvel having a war, you know, with, with sales wise. <laughs> You know, so, but you know, so many great 80s titles. Um, and that's one of the reasons, like, nowadays when I read a new comic and it's like 20 or four pages of these massive panels, I find that I it's not worth, you know, the money I spent on it because you don't get a lot of story. Now, look at this issue we're discussing today, right, Billy, which is All Star Squadron Annual Number One, whopping mm-hmm. th- 48 pages. Mm-hmm. And you know, you don't get a lot of annuals these days anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, even though this was one dollar cover price, which was expensive back then, mm-hmm. I think it gave you uh, your money's worth. You know, there's a lot of story packed into these pages, and oh, yeah. um, I'm not saying it's all good. <laughs> I mean, this story is completely <laughs> nuts. I don't know where. I mean, I know exactly where Roy got this from, but um, you know, yeah. What do you think about this? Before we get into this, Billy, was was this one of your favorite <laughs> All Star Squadron issues? <laughs> It's wild. I do like the craziness of it. It it feels like, you know, Roy, maybe he was hanging out with Haney for a couple of weeks. And then <laughs> <laughs> this is what this is what came out. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't seem like a typical Roy story because it's it's kind of wild and all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think it's it's um, the case. Well, one of those things where they, they realize there's something funny going on with some of the All Star Squadron's origins or some of the Justice Society members origins in, in this mm-hmm. case, particularly wildcat uh, the atom and then the jack kirby joe simon creation the guardian right from the mm-hmm. newsboy legion they're bringing yeah. him into the story which kind of makes sense because you know he was um semi-popular during the golden age um at least the newsboy legion and the guardian being their protector and um so you know it's good that they brought him in I, i've always liked the guardian's costume his color scheme you know the the blue and yellow and uh, mm-hmm. just the fact that he has a shield, you know, does not, in fact, make him redundant. It's, you know, even though Kirby and them created <laughs> Captain America and now they've gotten another character with a shield, it sort of makes <laughs> sense. You know, Guardian, Guardians of Liberty, you know, Captain America being the Sentinel of, of Liberty and the Guardian, you know, guarding the folks in Suicide Slum. A Guardian should have a shield. It's interesting. I don't mind that, you know. But, yeah, I um, mean, and... Full disclosure, I did not realize that character was a Golden Age character. I thought he was, uh, the first time I read him and the only time I read him was uh, when Kirby came back to D.C. in the 70s there. And he was in those, uh, what was it, Jimmy Olsen or something? Yeah, and didn't they also reprint some of his adventures, I think, from the Golden Age in those? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe. I have yeah. a trade and I just know I thought... Oh, who's this guy? And I've never even heard of him before. So and then I was like, I'll research it. I'm like, oh, he was around a long time ago. Got it. Yeah, man. He's, uh, he's an interesting character. You know, I I think, uh, yeah, probably I first encountered him in All-Star Squadron. But then, you know, once John Byrne and after the Crisis on Infinite Earths, um, you know, Jerry Ordway as well had a hand in um, reimagining Superman. You know, John Byrne came mm-hmm. first and then Jerry Ordway. On adventures of Superman, the Guardian would appear in those issues, and then I started to really become interested in him as a character and as a mm-hmm. concept. And um, so, you know, I went back and reread his appearances in All Star Squadron, but of course, very different because now it was the the sort of the post-crisis universe, and you know, you didn't have that sense of legacy anymore. 
if you know what I mean, yeah. right, Billy? Which you would have if you read the Earth 2, you know, Guardian probably consistently in the 80s <laughs> if they still kept him going, <laughs> which they sort of did with, you know, young All-Stars um, after, you know, All-Star Squadron. Well, they tried to fold in, you know, All-Star Squadron into the whole, you know, new DC universe, you know, when the crisis happened. Right. It's, it's very yeah. difficult, very difficult to do. They, they managed it. It's just, um, you know, I... I w- <sighs> I didn't really have a big problem with it other than the fact the entire crisis um I liked you know that they would uh, you know uh, streamline continuity like that Billy but the problem was the the things that they got rid of Supergirl Superboy you know it affected you know other titles I liked like the Legion of Superheroes and uh, Superman's mythology you know it was suddenly you know I I'm not going to say dumbed down but it was but it's so radically revamped that you know I didn't recognize the the, the things that I liked growing up as a kid anymore you know but i soon became used to them you know i still you know but with the all-star squadron it was much more difficult to do that because (laughs) after all if earth 2 doesn't exist anymore you know luckily it's in earth 2's past so Mm -hmm. guardian though um they they kept him you know um into the new universe i don't know if it was because he was popular or if he was a kirby creation that they thought would uh you know catch on but um, I did in I like him. I, I like the character a lot. So um, you know, one of those golden age characters. It was very visually appealing, and that led me to want to know more about him. Mm-hmm. Now his origin, though, and his the origin of the Adam and Wildcat, very similar, and that's probably mm-hmm. what what led Roy down this path, right? Billy, to he identified yeah. these three characters who and and other golden age characters too. I mean, Rod Riley. You know, uh, mm-hmm. brother of Firebrand, of, of Danette Riley, who was the original mm-hmm. Firebrand Rod, he has a similar origin, you know, with Slugger Dunn training mm-hmm. him to be this um, mm-hmm. premier, you know, fighter, this boxer. And these guys, Wildcat, <laughs> the Atom, and the uh, Guardian have the similar origin. You know, they were trained by um, world-class trainer, <laughs> you know, to become mm-hmm. these... Um, fantastic uh, street fighters and um, all based around boxing, the skill of boxing, right? Mm-hmm. So now Roy probably saw that as, oh, this needs some explanation. We gotta, we gotta do something about this because this is just too coincidental, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that these three <laughs> folks had these trainers. And then, you know, another thing I think that directly inspired this issue, and this is where things get really crazy because putting. The, the boxing trainer together with this thing is just insane. As you know, the title of this annual, Billy, is The Three Faces of Evil, mm-hmm. right? So this is the second part of how Roy came up with the story. And this, this title is directly taken from the, the book called The Three Faces of Eve. I think it was printed in or, or it was first uh, released in 1957. And it also became a film by the same name, The, the Three mm-hmm. Faces of Eve. And uh, this was written by uh, Corbett Thickpin and a guy called Hervey Cleckley. They were psychiatrists, by the way. And they oh studied this guy called Chris Sizemore um, in this novel, or in this book, The Three Faces of Eve. And Chris, this Chris Sizemore guy was, was also known as Eve White because he had um, multiple personality disorder. Now, of course, it's known mm-hmm. as dissociative identity disorder, right? So... Mm-hmm. Uh, Eve White or Chris Sizemore, this was about his life. And um, they concealed his identity in these interviews that the book is made up of and eventually revealed to the public, 
You know, I think it was only revealed in 1977 who he really was. But the point being that Roy must have seen the film, you know, The Three Faces of Eve, which was about multiple mm-hmm. personality disorder, as it was known back then. And then he decided, hey, let's work this into the, the you know, boxing trainer, um, you know, training these three guys and then say that, oh, he's actually the same guy, but he's got multiple, dis- uh, you know, personality disorder. And that's where the title of the story came from, <laughs> The Three Faces of Eve <laughs> becoming The Three Faces of Evil. But then, Billy, there's also a strong green lantern angle right mm-hmm. to this whole tale because yeah. you've got an earth one plot line from the green lantern comic from 1979 you know uh, i think it's from green lantern uh, number 112 mm-hmm. from january 1979 that's got something to do with this whole um, you know <laughs> story so it's totally it's it's just absolutely crazy right it's a kooky story and we're gonna get into this right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's fun it's it's fun it might be kooky it might be crazy but you read it you're gonna have a good time it's fun that's and it, right of course it looks beautiful too so we'll yeah into that. great uh ordway art um uh, ordway inking adrian gonzalez on art there and of mm-hmm. course uh written again by roy thomas lettered by john constanza and we've got the uh, colorist called Gafford returning yet again. He's been with the, the titles since the beginning. And then, mm-hmm. you know, um, the cover itself is by Jerry Ordway. Now, Billy, this, I might be wrong here, but I think this is the very first Jerry Ordway uh, cover where he, you know, did everything. He penciled, inked, um, uh, and he colored himself as well, uh, to the mm. best of my knowledge. So we're going to get many more Jerry Ordway covers. But, you know, uh, Joe Kubert's great, but he would not continue uh, consistently delivering covers for the series it doesn't matter though because we've got Ordway here showing his chops this is a great cover mm-hmm. oh yeah I like it quite a bit like anytime you have multiple heroes fighting some giant menace I love those kind of covers I mean for sure the first one that springs to mind uh, for me when you talk about DC is that super old is it way early in the Silver Age when uh, the Justice League fought Starro that one yeah yeah that's, that's a good that's one my favorite yeah that's my favorite one of all time of like that collection of heroes fighting like this giant menace and that's what this cover is too it's all the the jsa members here trying to fight this giant purple guy it looks like the purple man from marvel he must have borrowed him yeah, yeah it kind of does look like the purple man except <laughs> the purple man never became gigantic you know it reminded me a little bit of an avengers annual do you remember the i think mm. it was the king size avengers annual number six where they fight this guy called nuclo and the living oh, laser yeah. yep yeah i forgot who mm. who was the cover artist on that but you know it's a similar it's except a giant purple glowing guy this is a giant, giant yellow glowing guy and i think he he held one of the avengers maybe iron man in his fist you know, and you've got Cap and the Wizard and the Vision and then Wonder Man. They're, you know, holding these soldiers at bay. That That's what this cover made me think of, you know. This, yeah, probably uh, George Perez or Rich Buckler from that era, somebody like that. Yeah, possibly. It might even be Kirby. I don't know. Um, I remember oh, could be. There, could, there was yeah. a Kirby style to that. But um, still, great cover, like you say. A hero's fighting mm-hmm. a giant man, man is always a winner. Mm-hmm. And then, you know... Um, the it was hard to provide a coherent synopsis for this issue because <laughs> it's all over the place. It's got three origin stories, an origin story that's been done already in terms of the atom, but you know they flesh it out a little bit here, and then yeah. it's got um, not a big cast of characters, but you've got um, three yeah. 
characters who was first featured in Justice League in the the All Star Squadron special in Justice League uh, number one hundred ninety three. You've got them returning, right, Billy? The three friends who became friends in that very first inaugural mm-hmm. appearance of the All Star Squadron: Wonder Woman, the Golden Age Green Lantern, and of course the Golden Age Flash. Jay Garrick. Oh, all of them are from the Golden Age Wonder Woman too. <laughs> Um, You've got them reappearing on the very first splash page and they feature prominently throughout this issue. Um, I think this is is a a good choice on Roy's part, showing that the Justice Society is still ever-present because we've had a lot of issues just featuring the new members of the All-Star Squadron up to this Mm -hmm. point. And then now we've got some classic JSA members coming back. Now, of course, Wonder Woman was not a Justice Society member at this time in, uh, in the on, if, you, if you look at the timeline but um, she appeared with Green Lantern and the Flash on a number of comic cavalcade covers in the 1940s mm-hmm. right Billy and this um, similar to their the All-Stars first appearance in the special in Justice League this is uh, one of those cases where Roy and Adrian Gonzalez of course and Jerry Ordway took an image from comic cavalcade number two from 1943 which features mm-hmm. The three of them, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, and, and The Flash, um, on a tandem bike, riding on a circus <laughs> tightrope, <laughs> and entertaining the crowds. You know, the wartime crowds. Um, so that's where The Splash is from, from that famous image of the cover of Comic Cavalcade number 2 from 1943. So um, cool. that also... Uh, had a, lo- a lot to do with this storyline, you know, seeing these three classic heroes. And, and it kind of makes a nice bookend to the start of the series, you know, where the the, the first JSA characters we saw was these three, you know, in, mm-hmm. in Justice League, in the special. And now after a year, roughly a year of All-Star Squadron, we get them as a nice bit of, um, you know, uh, a closure to yeah. the first year uh, where they reappear and have an adventure um, of their own along with some members of the All-Star Squadron, of course. So, And mm-hmm. plus some two two newer members being uh, reintroduced. I mean, Wildcat also showed up in that special, if you remember right, Billy. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Handed them the award <laughs> after the race. <laughs> but yeah. um, And he's a fan of Green Lantern. <laughs> well, Green Lantern oh, yeah. inspired him to become a costumed hero, sort of. A hero. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's <laughs> all of these things sort of um, that Roy plays with and he puts them together... Um, in in this sort of like a crazy quilt of of storylines that coalesces mm-hmm. into this um, interesting plot, but it's very difficult to summarize. I'm gonna I did try I did my best trying to come up with a synopsis, which I'm gonna uh, hand off to you now, listeners. All right, here it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, while performing circus stunts for charity and to get the crowd to buy war bonds, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, and the Flash are suddenly and mysteriously attacked by a mind-controlled atom, wildcat, and a new hero, the Guardian. Green Lantern's power ring, however, uh, snaps them out of their hypnosis, and the group then decides to leave to discuss what happened and how they could solve this mystery. Wildcat, Atom, and the Guardian then tell their origins to Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, and the Flash, and they establish a common thread. They were each trained by the same man, Joe Morgan, known to the Guardian as Nat Milligan. And after establishing this connection, the group of All-Stars split into teams to find Joe Morgan 
each group finds a glowing version of the famous trainer who and then they defeat him but when the three are brought together the three versions form a giant sized morgan who then attacks <laughs> which is like the one we saw on the cover right billy <laughs> eventually right. they do manage to overcome morgan who has seemingly been possessed by a white globe of pure evil it was uh, intent on attacking specifically Green Lantern Alan Scott, but Morgan resisted it. At the end, though, he dies, and GL sends the, the globe into space. Yeah, unknown to GL, but known to the readers, the globe was actually sent to Earth 2 by the Guardians of the Universe from Earth 1, and it <laughs> contained all the evil they expelled from their very beings, and they banished it to the universe in which they previously banished all magic. And uh, that's that's the the third part of the story here, and it's one of the craziest parts as well. So, <laughs> Billy, roughly that's the synopsis. Um, now there's lots to unpack here. I'll let you start first. Mm -hmm. Um, okay, we we already talked about the cover. What did you think about that opening splash page? I love this splash page. It is so good, just because it's fun. It has a really awesome, you know, the three faces of evil at the top that looks like it's on fire and there's, you know, there's some uh, exposition there between uh, GL wonder woman and flash, but not too much. But then there's another one of my favorite things when some of these, you know, uh, bronze and early copper age writers, they like to put quotes uh, in the beginning. And there's a, a, a Shakespeare quote here. The fault dear Brutus is not in our stars, but in ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> so it has that too, which I absolutely love. And then, I always loved the circus when I was a kid, too. Uh, now, listen, don't get upset because I didn't realize when I was a kid how bad they usually treat those animals. Yeah. You don't realize that stuff when you're a little kid, but when I was a little kid, it would come around like once a year maybe, and I would love to go. But, um, yeah, oh, great scene and just spectacular work by Gonzalez and Ordway. Oh, my gosh, it's an excellent-looking page. Yeah, I agree with you. This, Well, you can't really criticize this page too much. I mean, it's not really... A complete recreation of the cover uh, of Comic Cavalcade number two from 1943. It's sort of um, flesh fleshing the cover out more. There's more detail, uh, but mm -hmm. it still pays homage, you know, to the, mm -hmm. the classic Golden Age image. Um, so you know, I can't really fault this cover for much. I love the way that Gonzalez and Audrey draw faces, especially the face of Wonder Woman, and yeah, the Flash and Green Lantern as well. They they look. Like they're filled with joy. It looks like they're filled with mm -hmm. joy, right? That they're really having the time of their lives entertaining this crowd for a mm -hmm. good cause because it's for, you know, war bonds, which we'll get into later, Billy. I've prepared a section for our Earth Prime archive all about that. And they want to <laughs> get the public to buy war bonds to to fund the war. And um, they, they've uh, arranged for the three Justice Society, well, the three superheroes to get together and and mm -hmm. and help um, you know the U.S. government out, and you know the fact that um, I think Roy he he knew that these three characters appeared on so many covers in the Golden Age, he decided to make them friends. You know, I mean they had a picnic in JLA, you know, uh, number <laughs> yeah. one ninety three, the first appearance of the All Star Squad, and they had a picnic. They they became good friends then, and they've decided they're going to do their part by sometimes coming together and you know rallying the nation and <laughs> rallying the crowds and entertaining them. Which is great, you know, and they also have some good chemistry between them, you know, the mm -hmm. three of them, I should say. Yeah, for sure. 
So um, then Billy, uh, things, you know, become a little bit... I mean, first there's this stunt that they've arranged where Green Lantern snips the wire and then there's a daring rescue, you know, where they fall <laughs> from the tightrope and uh, they want to, to change it, in fact, into, um, you know, an acrobatic act, you know, with an aerialist act, I should say. But um, mm-hmm. unfortunately, there's an interruption. The crowd, though, they're very mercurial, I would say. Did you see the crowd? They, they, they alternate between liking what, what's happening, boredom, <laughs> and then outright hostility. <laughs> and then, again, cheering at the very end when something happens that the All-Stars, well, that the, the superheroes didn't plan. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I oh, want yeah. you to talk about that. After Green Lantern snips the wire and there's this, this rescue... I mean, there, it was supposed to, to translate into this aerialist act, but then this white globe appears. What happens then, Billy? <laughs> yeah, like you said, this white globe appears, and they're like, what? The three of them are just stunned because they don't know what's going on. It's not part of the act. And within this globe, you can see Wildcat, uh, Guardian, and little Al Pratt. And they just come busting out of there and start kicking the crap out of Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, and a Flash because, of course, they're unaware. They're like, Oh, hey, how's it going, guys? You know, and then sock right in the face. Wildcat punches Green Lantern and like levels them, and it's it's like a huge brawl right from there on. Yeah, later on, uh, I think Green Lantern will comment on the fact that he was punched out by the the well, the New York heavyweight, the New York State heavyweight champ, and uh, you know because they learned that uh, Wildcat's real identity is Ted Grant, right? Mm-hmm. So Green Lantern, <laughs> it would be surprised that he survived a blow like that from the heavyweight champ. <laughs> and um you know uh yeah i liked this whole it's it's got a, like a a golden age vibe kind of you know what i mean billy maybe even yeah. silver age because mm-hmm. it's just so crazy you know these superheroes mm-hmm. showing up and they've all got in mad skills they've all got insane skills even green lantern who's an engineer in real life but you know the fact mm-hmm. that he became a superhero with a magic ring suddenly also gives him these acrobatic aerialist skills <laughs> i mean he's he's <laughs> swinging there on the on on the wires and you know flash i would understand he's more agile than most you know and there's even a bit where where the announcer says the flash is gonna perform a daring stunt he's gonna do 10 somersaults you know in a (laughs) row before being caught by the green lantern that's just before the white globe appears and then green lantern thinks and he says the the flash could probably do a hundred somersaults in that time if he wanted to but that would (laughs) render him invisible (laughs) the crowd wouldn't be pleased (laughs) <laughs> you know, so, but, you know, even though he can't uh, catch the Flash because of the white globe that appears, the Flash still saves himself with a super speed updraft at ultra speed, he says, right? Which is a <laughs> yeah. classic Flash move. Johnny Quick even does that a couple of times throughout the series, right? When they're falling, oh, yeah. they can quickly, like, create an updraft. I love that about the speedsters of DC. I've never seen Quicksilver do that in the Marvel universe, <laughs> but that's kind of like a no. DC thing, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. And then, you know, that's when the crowd turns a little bit hostile towards them. That, that, that made me think, like, you know, um, because they're saying this, this is some joke. You know, the, the, the act didn't work out, but, you know. And then, uh, of course, there's the slugfest, which the crowd really gets into. This is like a gladiatorial match in Roman mm. times, right? That's how these, this crowd's yeah. bloodthirsty. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, they seem to be surprised and then you know they don't give it their all because they obviously don't want to hurt these mind-controlled heroes who showed up to beat them but they've been enhanced right Billy they're stronger faster than they're supposed to be I mean you've got the Guardian 
Jim Hammond taking out the Flash, who's moving at full super speed. He manages mm-hmm. to lay a haymaker on him. And then the Flash tries to recover, but then Guardian blocks him with his shield. And the yeah. Atom turns out to be just as fast as Wonder Woman, who won the race <laughs> against the Flash. Just to remind the listeners, right? <laughs> From way let back. It, let us not forget. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, he grabs her by the wrist. She hurls him with some Amazon judo <laughs> over her shoulder. And then Green Lantern versus Wildcat. You've got Wildcat here popping the lantern another one after he breaks free from this giant green fist you know this giant green hand Mm -hmm. that uh, has manifested from the ring right but green lantern then manages to break this uh mental um hold on the three heroes who's appeared in this globe right but he sort of manifests uh what does he do a globe of his own a green sun a miniature sun or something yeah it creates a blaze of emerald light which erupts only inches from the uh, newcomer's startled eyes and i guess it's like you know kind of snaps them out of it you know like a hypnotist would <laughs> snap yeah. his fingers and snap you out of it yeah and then it uh, the atom is still wrestling with wonder woman but wonder woman's not <laughs> convinced he's completely himself so she picks him up <laughs> and she's about to, to hurl him into space or something but luckily since he's or talking out. now yeah she realizes they're <laughs> you know they've recovered and, uh, of course, none of them know how they got there. Lantern decides to make a break for it. But the crowd's going wild. They love this <laughs> fight more than the, the the aerialist act and the death-defying, you know, save on the Flash's part. They're just cheering. They say, I'm going to buy a busload of bonds. Let me through. <laughs> Some of them screaming <laughs> like that. And it turns out Tubby Watts, Johnny Quick's friend, he was in the crowd, right, Billy? He was filming or, or uh, taking photographs of this event. Mm-hmm. And he he loved it too, and then they decide they they need a bit of a palaver. So the Green Lantern creates a magic carpet, <laughs> a green glowing magic carpet straight out of Arabian Nights, and then they float up to the the big top's top, and they exit. So mm-hmm. while they're flying, there's also a little bit of a a, a, a round table that <laughs> Green Lantern, <laughs> you know, manifested on this carpet, and they're discussing. You know what's been happening. So, so first off, since they don't really know Wildcat, they don't know you know Guardian. They know the Atom, of course, but they don't know their stories. They want to then know who they were. So, luckily, these guys. Well, Wildcat volunteers to to give his origin to them. But uh, you know, Jim Harper, uh, the Guardian, he's a little little bit more reluctant to to trust these folks because he's never met any of them. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of cocky about it too. Yeah, I mean, they comment on his name saying, you know, mm-hmm. you know, why don't you give us a name to go by? And they say, Green Lantern, Flash, and Wildcat. You call those things names? <laughs> Sounds to me like <laughs> the want list for a scavenger hunt. <laughs> <laughs> Roy had yeah, some pretty fun. weird dialogue, but it's, mm-hmm. it's fun. So mm-hmm. Wildcat continues to, you know, tell his story. It's, it, and it's very similar to the Atom, right, Billy? I mean, just a little, mm-hmm. the details have been tweaked a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. um, his old man... You know, got him into sports because he wanted him to be strong. We didn't want him to be get bullied, so he mm-hmm. was, uh, you know, a, a great athlete. But he excelled at boxing. But then his folks died, and he was uh, penniless, and he had to find, you know, a work. And then when he slugged a mugger or something, uh, yeah, a robber, <laughs> accosting this uh-huh. old man, this this man turned out to be the the boxing trainer. 
<laughs> Sucker, Sucker Smith, <laughs> right? That's his name, <laughs> Sucker Smith. Mm-hmm. And this would be the self-same trainer that we mentioned before, who also trained yeah. the Atom and eventually the Guardian. So he turned him into this uh, boxing champ, right? Wildcat became a boxing mm-hmm. champ, but he was inspired by Green Lantern. After reading about Green Lantern in the papers, he put on his own, you know, costume, which looked like basically like a giant cat. <laughs> this is Catwoman's mm-hmm. costume before there was a Catwoman, right? Yeah, really, it is. It's like, you know, he should be called Catman. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's a whole nother character. <laughs> Although he would sort of also be seen to have nine lives, <laughs> you know, later on oh, yeah. in the modern age, almost like Catman. But yeah, I kind of like the Catman character as, you know, Gail Simone wrote him. I think it was in the um, the Secret Six, right, Billy? From from yeah. the 2000s. That That's a good series mm-hmm. as well. I, I like that character. And he was an old Batman villain. I liked his mm-hmm. appearances. Gene Colan drew him a couple of times. Remember that? Catman. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Wildcat, though, I've always been fascinated with, with this this character. He's he's a, He's got a great mm-hmm. look. He's interesting, and he's tough as nails. He's probably the premier fighter in the DCU, if you think about hand-to-hand you know, combat. He's the best, right? The best of the best, right, yeah. Billy? I mean, I only Batman. So, yeah. Batman would probably be better than him but but he would definitely be be second on the list maybe even first in some cases mm-hmm. so uh you have um him you know just telling them how he then took on some hoods and uh you know the last time he he accosted some of these criminals in an alley the green the glowing white orb appeared and sucked him in and that's the last mm-hmm. thing he remembers Mm-hmm. Now, Billy, speak about the atom a little bit. Last time, when you know, on the show, I discussed the atom's origin at length. Now, now I want you to to rehash it a little bit here. There's a a bit of the origin we didn't see, which which is from his first appearance in the Golden Age, but but it wasn't told, you know, during our uh, the issue where we discussed the All Stars, you know, riding in the plane and just quickly giving a rundown on their origins. This one's more fleshed out. So, what happens with the atom? <laughs> Well, it's funny. He starts out with being. It's like I almost feel like we're looking at that uh, comic book advertisement for uh, oh, the one where you do, do the workout and it gets you all buff. I can't think of the guy's name. The Charles Atlas, the yeah, yeah, Charles. Uh, man out of Mac. <laughs> you know the <laughs> yeah, the, yeah the, the the incident that made a man out of Mac. Exactly. Was the, yeah. The one that made a man out of Al Pratt. He's on a date with <laughs> some girl, <laughs> and some guy says it's a stick-up kid, and he goes, the chick goes. Oh, Al, do something. He'll take my ring and watch. And the guy says to Al, move, squirt, and I'll, or I'll step on you. He goes, <laughs> I won't. And he, he gets out of the way. Luckily, the robber took off without hurting either of us. But And the, the girlfriend says, you spineless little amoeba. I never want to see you again. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so it's great. Yeah, yeah, he gets all pissed off, and you know he runs into this guy. And the guy's like, hey, could you spare a dime? And he goes, better yet, I'll buy you dinner. And uh, he starts talking to the guy, and he finds out he's a trainer. You know, he trains him into being, you know, the Adam, and he's lifting weights and getting ripped and learning how to box and do all this crazy stuff. <laughs> so yeah, you gotta love it. And yeah, man. Presumably the army. <laughs> yeah, presumably this is from you know All Star All American Comics number nineteen from you know um, in the nineteen forty. Nineteen forty. Yeah, where the Adam first debuted, and uh, you know a little bit of his origin was also explained in that issue. But Roy sort of fleshes it out a bit, and especially it's you know 
beautifully done by the art, you know, of Gonzalez and Ordway here. I kind of mm-hmm. like this. It's just a one-page origin, right? But it's got the atom, mm-hmm. the image of the atom as the, its centerpiece, right, Billy? Sort of focusing yeah. your eyes to the center of, and, and all of these life events happening in the background, almost like a who's who entry, you know? And um, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I've always liked the atom, the visual look of the atom, you know, those giant wrist guards of his, <laughs> just this weird cape, which is also his mask. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I love the Adam, you know. So, uh, this is my favorite origin story of his, you know. Just this little mm-hmm. rundown here. Even better than the one included in Who's Who, like I said. Which is very text-heavy. <laughs> this sort of shows you what's happening. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've got this great origin of the Adam. And then we've got Jim Harper's origin, the Guardian. Now, just to get a little bit into the Guardian, right, Billy? Because this is, after all, his first appearance in All-Star Squadron... Now, his first appearance was actually in Star Spangled Comics number 7, and that was from April 1942, of course, like we mentioned, created by uh, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, but he was uh, very much uh, not a sidekick of the Newsboy Legion, but the Newsboy Legion sort of featured more prominently, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And in Star Spangled Comics number 7, they also featured, you know, Robot Man and the Tarantula. Uh, the Tarantula is a character we'll meet soon. You know, he'll appear in All-Star Squadron. He's also a character mm-hmm. from the Golden Age. And then, of course, you and I yep. both love Robot Man. They all had appearances oh, in yeah. Star Spangled Comics. And, um, you know, uh, yeah, Jim Harper, a police officer. Well, he, he was a, a kid growing up in suicide slums, right? So he had a mm-hmm. very tough, tough uh, childhood. His best friend, Leo, and him, mm-hmm. they, they ran the streets together doing petty crime in order to survive, of course. And, yeah. um, you know, this origin of Jim Harper, I I kind of dig. It's different enough to make it interesting. That's what I mean. Different mm-hmm. from Wildcat and, and of course, the Adam's origin, right? Where, where, you know, the Adam was like a well-to-do student, <laughs> you know, a little bit nerdy, you know, and, yeah. and Wildcat was, uh, you know, an athlete. Um, Jim Harper was neither, right? He was sort of, yeah. um, you know, a homeless kid, in suicide slum and uh you know he's running with his pal leo and then you know he was also he met the this trainer nat milligan uh who's the self same man who trained wildcat and it seemed that you know the trainer in in most of their cases he wanted to make it big as a trainer of champions you know so this was his way of trying to 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 deal with the depression you know the great depression at the time to make a buck and he was disappointed three times <laughs> because every single time he trained someone, in this case Jim Harper too, they turned to to superheroing or in in the Guardian's case to becoming a cop, <laughs> yeah. which disappointed Nat Milligan um, to no end. So mm-hmm. that led to obviously him, you know, wanting revenge <laughs> against them, <laughs> where where and that's where this evil globe would 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 come in. But uh, interesting yeah. origin. What do you think about the Guardian as a character, Billy? Yeah, I like him. Um, like I said, I didn't really know him from anything other than the, the Bronze Age stuff that Kirby did. But I like him. You know, he's a good good character. Um, his helmet's kind of dopey. <laughs> but other yeah. than that, I do like him a lot. Yeah. Yeah, later on, I think in uh, the Copper Age or when, you know, the Superman title under Byrne and Ordway... Uh, you know, he they would change his look. They would take away that silly helmet and make it more, you know, streamlined. You know, make it more yeah. um, 
modern looking and that's the, the the look i like yeah i also don't like the fact that it like this is looks like a police helmet that's just been you know painted yellow or or you know <laughs> like a, a, not even a police helmet it, it looks like one of those lego helmets you find on lego you know <laughs> construction workers <laughs> actually yeah yeah but, that's what it looks like more like that yeah but the funny thing is he got his costume and his shield from a costume shop you know from a <laughs> Where he broke into the shop as as a cop, he was already a cop at the time. He was beaten up, you know, while he was in civvies, uh, mm-hmm. you know, tr- criminals trying to get revenge on him for arresting yeah. them or or giving them a hard time. He was beaten up, and then r- immediately after, he decided this is not going to cut it. He he's a cop, <laughs> but he can't arrest these guys. He needs to teach them a lesson. So he broke into a costume shop, and then stole. But he said he left money on the counter. But he stole this costume, this blue and yellow costume, and then. This prop, yeah. which is just a prop shield, right, Billy? But it turned out mm-hmm. to be remarkably effective in stopping criminals and stopping bullets. And he, you know, beat up this, the the guys who beat him up. That's how his career got started as a superhero, <laughs> which is very interesting, right? Yeah, I like you said when he breaks into the store. There's a caption: "I knew I shouldn't shouldn't have forced my way in, but I knew what I had to do." <laughs> I knew. Like, oh, is that how it works? <laughs> I, I I knew I shouldn't have committed that crime, but I knew I had to do it. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow, as a cop, yeah. Well, well, he was a kid from Suicide Slum, so you know he, he's a. Jeez. Yeah, he has a funny sense of of of, of law and order here, but you know it mm-hmm. worked out uh, for him because uh, he did, in fact, become a hero, just like Luke Cage would become a hero over at Marvel for you know Harlem oh, right. or House Kitchen, yeah. I should say. Uh, mm-hmm. Here he would do the same for Suicide Slum. The Guardian would. So you know, um, uh, interesting origin. I love the way you know Ordway and Gonzalez draw you know 1920s or early 1930s New York slums. Right. Look at mm-hmm. the two kids hanging around. It's got kind of like uh, got a Kirby and Joe Simon vibe too. The way they used to draw back then, or the, at least oh, Kirby yeah. used to draw in the 19. 19- 30s, which is sure. very different different from his in 1940s I should say different from his style over at Marvel you know um, mm-hmm. and then uh, it's also got the, the sense that this time around the trainer Nat Milligan he did not so much want to create a boxer as he wanted to create a gymnast right because he wants to create an mm-hmm. Olympic champion especially you know so yeah. um, I think maybe to to veer away from the the fighting aspect of the whole thing right because he saw that the two fighters he had trained they turned to you know to crime fighting <laughs> with their skills so mm-hmm. this time around he tried to create a gymnast but uh, that failed as well because the guy became a cop but billy there's <laughs> a bit of a sad element to the guardian's origin which i which i like before he became a police officer after he was trained by nat milligan he returned to his old neighborhood and he saw his best friend who was now part of the mob leo gunned down yeah by rival mobsters and that is what made him determined to you know become a cop but um, yeah that's a wild scene too that one panel you see these the the hoodlums drive by with machine guns and they just like perforate poor leo and the guy goes here's a present for you leo next time your boss will keep his boys out of our territory yeah (laughs) They just boom, 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 and yeah. he just hits the ground. They gun him <laughs> down on the street. Yeah, I yeah. was thinking very, it's it's very Godfather uh, yeah. esque. You know, I was expecting Leo mm-hmm. to collapse on a on a on a fruit basket or you know at a fruit <laughs> cellar and just spill it all on the ground there. 
but uh, very yeah very striking scene and very sad too because you've got Jim kneeling over his friend's body there you know um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know uh, basically a very sympathetic character right off the uh, right from the start here um, mm-hmm. re- recreated of, of course by Roy and by the art team here uh, from the original by Kirby and Simon but I you know I, I'd say it's fleshed out I mean I didn't read all Star Spangled comics number seven um, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking that this is you know they, they added their own flavor to it of course you know so believe then um, mm-hmm. after that uh, it commences because uh, again after um, he became the guardian he was uh, stopping a crime and then he was also kidnapped or you know, abducted by this glowing orb uh, white orb of evil and that's the last mm-hmm. thing he remembered so now we've got all of their stories lining up and then they mm-hmm. they dis- well they discuss the common thread that they've got it each had a trainer and then green lantern uses his ring um to great effect here he sort of mm-hmm. he, they determine that this the, the thread is the trainer so they he forces them to concentrate these these mm-hmm. three fighters <laughs> these three boxers on their <laughs> fight trainer and then uh, they see his face in their mind and, and all of them realize that it's the same man <laughs> Nat Milligan mm-hmm. so very very interesting bit there but when I first read this issue I think as a kid I loved it but now that I'm rereading it this is so contrived <laughs> it's just a very strange <laughs> way to to explain that they all had the same trainer you know and that they all turned out to eventually become all-stars <laughs> so this trainer man he, at the end it, at least it, it is you know stated by Roy that he did good for the world mm-hmm. because he created three superheroes basically <laughs> this, this trainer did right yeah, what are we gonna yeah. call him billy i mean what's your favorite name for this guy i mean um i kind of like... feel like the way he was drawn by gonzalez and ordway i feel like we should call him gil kane like look at it <laughs> doesn't it look like <laughs> gil kane? I mean... it does man it does wow that's a good call <laughs> i didn't think think about that until you said it but it does look like kane <laughs> Yeah, it's like all of a sudden, like it looks like three pictures in a row. Like they all look like Kane. I'm like, holy crap, what's going on here? Maybe they did that on purpose as a you know an homage to him. It could be, man. It, it really could be. Yeah, I'm just gonna. <laughs> I I really wanted to just call him Soccer Soccer Smith because that's a great name. <laughs> you got yeah. the alliteration. Yeah. And not soccer as like as in football. Soccer as in like punching. Soccer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. That's a good name. Yeah, so let's just call him, you know, Gil the Trainer. <clears throat> Gil the Trainer Kane. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, yeah, then after establishing that thread, what happens next, Billy? Now they're, they're on the case. They're, they're, they're sniffing out this uh, Sherlock Holmes-style-esque mystery, and they're going to follow mm-hmm. it through to its conclusion. What happens next? Well, yeah, so what they're going to do is they're going to, you know, try to figure out, you know, where this guy's at, that all three of them were trained by even under two different names but uh they i I like how there's a really really good page uh right in the middle of this one where the adam's thinking about you know the all-star squadron and wondering where his you know teammates are at and uh you know you get a huge splash page of him thinking and about all the other friends and commander steel and robot man and all that which is really cool too because this issue kind of you know it's more of a jsa story than it is all-star squadron story but yeah they pair up like you know jsa jla team up style and just go off and look for this guy and you have uh, guardian and flash you know they're going to look for him in this one spot where he used to live and like you said in your synopsis each pair of teams 
Adam and Wonder Woman. And then the last one is uh, Wildcat and GL. They all go to these different spots and run into what looks like the same guy, but he's like glowing. And then it's just mayhem ensues from there. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. I, I should mention something I forgot, though, Billy. Just before they, they, they've already teamed up and hit it off in, in three different directions. Uh, just mm-hmm. after that, that that happened on page 20. On page 21, there's the scene where the Atom sort of muses about, you know, he's thinking about the rest of the All-Star Squadron and what they're up to. And mm-hmm. we should mention that mm. this annual, the events in this annual is running concurrently with the events in All-Star Squadron number 13, right, mm-hmm. Billy? So, which we discussed yeah. last episode. Um, you know, the Atom's thinking about uh, Hawkman, you know he's gone back to being you know in the the uh the air force he's report re- reported for duty again and then it also mentions that his fiance Shira Sanders Hulk girl has joined up with the nurse corps and then you've mm-hmm. got you know uh, Johnny Quick Liberty Bell and Firebrand fresh off of their visit at the hospital at the you know the army hospital where they visited Firebrand's <laughs> brother and we dealt with those racist issues <laughs> Firebrand's oh, yeah. budding racism was was nipped in the bud Hopefully, um, uh-huh. th- you've got them beating up some criminals there. Well, I think you see what she's doing to that guy. Yeah, she's, she's burning his hair off. <laughs> and then lit his hair on fire. Yeah. Like, what is this? Like in... she's pulling like a Michael Jackson on him. Like when he got his hair cooked off in that video he did. Yeah. Like, Man, what in the heck? It's terrible looking. <laughs> exactly. This is not so much the Adam's memories. This is or his thoughts. This is probably what actually happens. You know, which which <laughs> the Atom doesn't know about. But we're shown this by, by the creative team, so that we know what what's happening at this very moment with the rest of the All Stars. You've got um, uh, a robot man and uh, Grayson, his mm-hmm. friend, uh, his partner, partner, mm-hmm. you know, his lab partner. Uh, mm-hmm. And Robot Man's reading this. He's been served notice, right, of, <laughs> uh, by the courts. He has to appear in court because he's got his own problems to deal with. They're trying to <laughs> to determine whether he's a menace to society and the family of Robert Crane. You know, he him being Robert Crane, but the family of Robert Crane claiming that he's their property. And <laughs> you know, they don't. Nobody knows that he's actually uh, Bob Crane in there, right? So he's got his own problems there. Then you've got. Shining Knight over in England being the bodyguard of Winston Churchill. And I'm I'm kind of missing the Shining Knight right about now because um, yeah. he's going to return. Uh, but, uh, you know, he was a part of the original mm-hmm. uh, new, newly formed All-Star Squadron. So I, one of my favorites. Yeah. And then you've got the sad uh, image of Commander Steel standing <laughs> at the grave of Professor Gilbert Giles just after he's been rejected or ejected from his fiance ex fiance's apartment and she's already and found a husband. new guy and her husband mm-hmm. yeah so a mm-hmm. uh, pretty interesting page just uh, reminding the readers where we're at you know with this annual because Billy many times an annual uh, you know all, all through through all the comics that we read as kids annual sort of felt removed from from time from the timeline of the of the normal uh, comic book story you know or plot that's been running through this series and uh, I, I at least I felt like timeline you know uh, annuals never sort of uh, they were never in the actual continuity of the series at least that's mm-hmm. the impression I had as a kid it, it was it often told the story an an untold adventure of the the character or the team concerned mm-hmm. you know but here it sort of uh, dates the issue dates this annual by putting it mm-hmm. smack dab in the events occurring in All-Star Squadron number 13, which is good. 
Right. I, I, mm-hmm. I like that. As we yeah. As we're going to see in our next episode, listeners, it's going to be all over the place. So mm. this is good that Roy's managed to do this in one issue. <laughs> Doubtful if they could do that with a crossover. But yeah, we're going to talk about that come next uh, episode. Um, so great little page there, right, Billy, just to remind mm-hmm. us. And then there's got, I, I don't know if you noticed, but there's like four pages. One, two, three, four pages of ads, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. Right after that, there's, mm-hmm. you've got an ad for a Pac-Man Atari game. You've got an Love ad for another for Atari. Yeah. Um, and then you've got, uh, well, another, yeah, the three Atari ads. <laughs> mm-hmm. As I'm paging through the sucker. And then you've got an, uh, a house ad for Camelot 3000, which yes. was a fantastic Brian Bolland penciled uh, miniseries, right? Or maxi series. I, yeah, I got that. Uh, my family bought that for me for my birthday. Um and the trade, a really nice hardcover. It's got a ton of extras in it and stuff. And uh, so I still have, I've, I've thumbed through it, but I still have to read that one. But yeah, it looks gorgeous. And so does this advertisement. Yeah, Brian Bolland's art on that is just in, insanely beautiful. Not, not. I mean, the series is good. You know, the story is good. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I was reading Mage at the time. You know, um, one of the independent mm-hmm. comics by Matt, Matt Wagner. And um, I just found, you know, that was the superior sort of uh, modern retelling of King Arthur in the modern age, you know, where... Gotcha. So I was reading that at the time where I also picked up Camelot 3000. So Brian Bolland's art, you know, kept me riveted, but the storyline took a backseat to to that, you know, comic title, Mage. Anyway, this is this is totally, you know, an aside here. Apologies, listeners. <laughs> Let's get back, Billy, to Chapter 3, Tragedy in Triplicate. And mm, we start off... Yeah, we started with The Flash and The Guardian. Right. First off, they're the first uh, mm-hmm. team spotlighted here as they're heading into suicide slum here. Now, look how well that is illustrated by Gonzalez and oh. Ordway here. Believe that you've got the newspapers on the ground, the cracked sidewalk. You've got this busted down tenement. You've got this wooden fence looking all rickety and it's falling apart. This this uh, the garbage all over the place. This this is some amazing penciling. Mm-hmm. What do you think about this? The scene. Oh yeah, it's it's great. It, it reminds you of something like you said earlier too, a Kirby, you know, Golden Age Kirby, you know, yeah. from his news Newsboy Legion or something like that. This like an actual neighborhood in this time. This is exactly what it would have looked like. So precisely, very yeah. good, very good uh, job by Gonzalez and Ordway here. You know, I feel like they're really, really homaging the the artists from the uh, Golden Age there from these World War Two times for sure. Yeah. Absolutely gorgeous page. It's fantastic, and then they. They track down Ned Milligan. Well, they they go to Ned Milligan's old uh, digs, uh, where you know the, the guardian knew that he used to hang out, which is this um, uh, apartment. And then the Flash enters by turning the the knob. the The door's locked, but he turns the the knob a couple of thousand times per second in order to break it, and then enter this apartment. And the first thing they see is this giant glowing, uh, you know, humanoid who's Ned Milligan buff as hell right billy and he's purple <laughs> yeah and he is antagonistic he you know the, them's fighting words that he's uttering there right mm-hmm. and the guardian's mm-hmm. having none of it he runs towards nat but uh, nat sort of manifests two of these spheres these glowing spheres that we've seen before and they uh chase <laughs> guardian and the flash around <laughs> the apartment Mm-hmm. And then eventually, before the the spheres can touch them, presumably they also teleport them away or imprison them. Right. But before that yeah. happens, the guardian socks Nat one on the jaw, wham, mm-hmm. 
and then uh, it takes him out pretty easily. He, he seems very mm-hmm. weak to them, at least. They, yeah. It's easier than they thought it would be. But then he, uh, the the glow fades, and they find him to be, you know, just a man. You know, Nat Milligan dressed in his underoos, and then uh, mm-hmm. the, it ends. That little that little scene ends with um, Guardian saying, "Our little glow worm, Nat, Joe, <laughs> or whoever, something's happening to him right before our eyes." And then he screams. Something weird. <laughs> <laughs> and like oh. I said, it's even creepier because he's all purple and has his glow all around him, and he's wearing nothing but a speedo, which looks a little creepy there. I don't yeah, know sorry, it's more like that. a speedo, not really underoos. It's speedo, <laughs> definitely. And then we've got another bit of fantastic art here: Wonder Woman and the Atom. They're flying in Wonder Woman's uh, invisible plane. <laughs> yeah. Now, listen, Billy, the dimensions. The interior dimensions of this invisible plane is really wonky because sometimes it fits two people. Sometimes it could fit the entire All-Star squadron, <laughs> as mm-hmm. we'll see in future issues. But here it looks like it can only it's it's only got seats for two, two right? Yeah, two. But I guess you can never tell because it's invisible, so you don't really know how big mm-hmm. it really is, right? <laughs> right, yeah. And then their dialogue there is great. Wonder Woman. That's the farmhouse your uncle left you when he died, Adam? And uh, Al says, sure is. That's where Joe Morgan turned Al Pratt, 98-pound weakling, into the mighty might. If I sound a bit queasy just now, it's because I haven't quite adjusted yet to riding at supersonic speed in an invisible plane. Maybe it comes as a second nature to an Amazon like you, but I prefer a mode of transportation I can see. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, poor Adam. At least he's not denigrating himself here again, saying how weak he is compared to... The rest of the All Stars. He in fact pulls his weight here. Well, not that his weight mm-hmm. is much, but it's certainly more than ninety-eight pounds these days, right? Oh yeah. The little Superman, and then <laughs> you know they find these glowing footprints uh, entering you yeah. know the cabin, and they follow them. And this cabin's seen better days, man. It's full of spider webs, cobwebs everywhere. Uh, furniture's covered. It looks like sort of like the cabin in Evil Dead. <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. so um uh then suddenly they pull the sheet which looks like it's covering a statue and you know as they pull the sheet down this it reveals that it's it's in fact his trainer you know um uh joe, joe morgan. morgan and mm-hmm. he's uh looks like he's made of iron or metal but he's actually just this silver glowing figure right but he, he's hulkish yeah. right he's huge oh, yeah and mm-hmm. um, Wonder Woman lassos him, um, <laughs> and then Al takes a swing at him, uh, mm-hmm. or or Al sort of like sort of uh, you know attacks him from behind. Wonder Woman gets a good punch in, but then Wonder Woman gives him a body shot that sends him flying, and and the Adam then you know delivers the coup de gras by sort of like punching him in the solar plexus, and uh, mm-hmm. you've you've got you know Joe screaming ah. <laughs> And then, but but not before insulting the Adam by saying, "You dwarf-sized fool!" <laughs> <laughs> wow, horrible, Joe. Mm. And then, listen, this is weird, man, because the Adam says, "Stand aside, Wonder Woman." Okay, Joe's my friend, and if this is Joe or was, I'm the guy who ought to take him in. What? <laughs> he's the guy who ought to like punch him into unconsciousness. That's basically what he says, right? Yeah. Which he does. And then they've got mm-hmm. the same moment where they see the glow fading and revealing a regular Joe. Pardon the pun, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. but they've got these expressions on their faces that they've never seen anything like this before, right? Like, great mm-hmm. Hera, says Wonder Woman. Yeah. Whoever, we whatever we've Hera. caught, it's changing somehow. Mm-hmm. So that's weird. And then we've got the final scene where the Lantern and Wildcat... Now, Lantern's pretty powerful, man. He's carrying Wildcat un- with one arm, underneath his one arm, as they're mm-hmm. flying over, you know... Um, where are they? In uh, New York as well, right? Uh, Barston's yeah. Gym, which is called Williams Gym, you know, mm-hmm. over there. So uh, it, they say it's right next to Stillman's as one of the greatest fight training venues of all time. <laughs> so mm-hmm. obviously, you know, this is a, a version, well, inspired by the Stillman's Gym, right? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> they they land, and the Lantern is a fan of boxing. He's a huge you know, boxing fan, and Wildcat is a fan of the Lantern. So these guys are sort of feeding off of each other, right? Being fans mm-hmm. of each other. Because the Lantern yeah. recently learned that Wildcat is Ted Grant, soon to be heavyweight <laughs> champion of the world. Well, according to Wildcat, he's soon to be heavyweight champion of the world as soon as he gets to challenge Joe Louis. <laughs> Which, obviously, he could take him, right? But Lee, I mean, yeah. in this fictional world. And you've got mm-hmm. lots of fighters training, but they're so intent on training in there in William's gym that they don't even notice these two colorful figures until this glowing golden figure <laughs> appears yeah. uh, in the middle. Now this is Soccer Smith, right? <laughs> Appearing mm-hmm. in the center of the ring where these two guys are sparring. And he's <laughs> he seems to be intangible, right, Billy? Immaterial. Because yeah. these guys they, they, they're in the middle of throwing punches and they accidentally they're gonna hit this this glowing soccer smith, but their blows just go through him, and then he hurls them wrestling style, you know, uh, WWF style. He hurls them from the ring, and Wildcat has to catch the one guy before he breaks his neck. <laughs> and what does the lantern do, Billy? This is a brilliant panel, don't you think? Yeah, he creates a giant catcher's mitt with his green, his lantern ring, and uh, catches the guy. But when they, when the guy first appears, the glowing guy first appears in the ring. The dialogue is great. The two boxers. Hey, where'd this clown come from? <laughs> I don't know. But he popped up just in time to catch my roundhouse right. <laughs> <laughs> they have this They ha- in the middle of what should be taking, you know, a hundredth of a second. They can deliver these this heavy dialogue. <laughs> and they can even, mm-hmm. like, describe exactly the punches they're throwing. And then, you know, yeah, Soccer Smith hurls them from the ring. And Lantern says, you know... Uh, I may be something of a boxing buff, but my real game's baseball. <laughs> That's why he <laughs> he delivers this catcher's mitt. Come on, Lantern, you've manifested enough boxing gloves in your time to prove your game's boxing as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. So then, well, that's more of a Al Jordan thing, but, you know, the Lantern from, from the All-Star Squadron, at least, he's got the odd boxing glove in, in his repertoire, right, Billy? Mm-hmm. Then you've For got sure. Wildcat entering the ring because he's going to take on Soccer Smith. It's going to be him in the ring where he's the most comfortable. But it it turns mm-hmm. out that you know he needs to to do a bit of uh, trash talking here to get Soccer to you know play fair, right, Billy? Because Wildcat takes a swing yeah. at him. He's still immaterial. He can't land a a paw <laughs> on this guy. <laughs> So what happens is Wildcats sort of have to shame Soccer Smith into becoming solid so that he could land a, uh, you know, a punch. And he a it works. Maker. Yeah. He lands a haymaker right on old Soccer's jaw there, taking him out spectacularly. <laughs> and, um, 
then we see, you know, that image that uh, Gonzalez drew there, we see like Wildcat's heavy claws on his feet there. Do you see that image, right, where he takes out soccer with one punch? You, oh, yeah. He's got some claws that he's sporting on his legs there, man. He could have like kicked soccer and disemboweled him <laughs> if he wanted yeah, and to. And then you get Green Lantern and two onlookers and Green Lantern. Good gravy. <laughs> you must have really clobbered him. <laughs> oh, that's a great bit. Yeah. And look at the, the faces of the onlookers, right? The rubberneckers. Yeah. They're like, like, holy crap. What? You know, what's happening here? And then the lantern proving again that he's stronger than most. He carries the two of them, the unconscious form of soccer. Call him Joe, call him Nate, Nat, whatever you want. Yeah, in his tidy whiteies. In there. his tidy whiteies, carrying him all the way to <laughs> Madison Square Garden, where apparently they agreed beforehand that they would meet up after their solo adventures or after their yeah. their their uh, duo adventures, right? As duos. <laughs> yeah. So the three teams reconvene and they lay the three men who all seem different in ages, right, Billy? You've got Joe Morgan as the younger of, of the three. Then you, and they lay them right next to each other in a row, right? And then you've mm-hmm. got... Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, who is it? Um, no, no, no. You've got... Yeah, Joe Morgan's the younger of the three, right? And Nat Milligan's yeah, the yeah. oldest. And soccer's somewhere in the middle there, age-wise. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, this is what apparently the evil white globe has been waiting for. As we're mm-hmm. we're soon to learn, it's waiting for the lantern to 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 sort of shine his green ray on them to determine like how could this be? How could three different versions of one man exist? Mm-hmm. And as soon as he touches them with his ring ray, they merge and they become this gigantic, well, again, silver glowing figure. But this time, mm-hmm. three times, uh, you know, the size of the original Joe Morgan. And also presumably three times as powerful. And uh, he's now possessed by this white globe of energy, uh, which Mm -hmm. has been activated, uh, you know, by Green Lantern's ray. We'll find out why later. And he attacks, Mm -hmm. right, Billy? And this this is where we get this great uh, splash page on on page 32, which sort of uh, mimics Mm -hmm. the cover, except on the cover he's purple. Here he's he's, he's still very much sort of uh, yellow, uh, you know, white silverish mm-hmm. and you've got everybody uh ganging up on him you know you've got the guardian somehow leaping at his head <laughs> <laughs> and you've got wildcat straddling his right arm trying to to restrain him you've got atom again going for the you know the the stomach punch <laughs> and then you've got the mm-hmm. flash running around wonder woman's lassoed him Green Lantern's being picked up like a baby and <laughs> he's going to get thrown well he does get hurled into some furniture Right yeah. or into the stands? Mm-hmm. Sorry, I should say into the stands there oh, yeah. of Madison Square Garden, and then the lantern's the main target here. You know that's right. apparent from the get go. He's gonna get killed here because he's weak and weakened now by by getting thrown into the stands. Um, Joe or whoever, let's call him Mad Gil Kane. You know, mm-hmm. possessed giant Gil, Gil. Di- yeah. giant Gil. He's gonna. Uh, throw a piece of uh, the stadium at uh, the lantern. The lantern's too weak to create a force shield, but he does manage to blast this um, this piece of masonry to Concrete, smithereens. Yeah. yeah, but then he's gonna get stomped on, right? Joe lift or Gil, <laughs> giant Gil lifts his leg. He's gonna stomp on the lantern, Kong style. When suddenly the atom and guardian they've managed to get this battering ram 
you know, they've whipped up this battering ram and they slam into Gil's back. And, <laughs> and then, Wildcat. And Wildcat, yeah, sorry. Yeah. And then Wildcat, you know, commences to, to slug him in the face again, but this doesn't help. Suddenly, though, he seems to... Because this is Joe now coming to the fore. Joe, Nat, uh, Soccer, whatever you want. This is him resisting the effect of the evil globe who's sort of been using him as its instrument to destroy the Green Lantern. We'll learn later uh, why. Uh, I already hinted at that in the synopsis, right, Billy? Joe's resisting, and because of that resistance, it it allows him to re- to sort of purge. It's sort of like an exorcism or, almost, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, to purge this white glowing globe, this globe of evil. Evil, yeah. Yeah, and then as he does so, he collapses, and the globe retreats from his form, and he reverts to his normal self, which is just Joe or Nat or Soccer, just one single Gil, or Gil yeah, <laughs> Mr. Kane. <laughs> and then he he he's dying, right? This has taxed him to yeah. no end. This has been, mm-hmm. uh, you know, hard on his old frame. He's he's an old man. He's in his sixties, right? And yeah. um, then he sort of has enough time before he dies to to tell him exactly what happened. He. Was his down, origin. yeah, his origin. He was down on his luck. He was, um, you know, um, trying to get you know things going again during the depression by training people to make a name for himself as a, a fight trainer. But you know, disappointed three times with the Atom Wildcat and the Guardian, and then when he was contemplating vengeance against his his former, you know, <laughs> students, this globe appeared, sensing his his hatred for the costume characters. It decided mm-hmm. to, you know, use him as its um, weapon against uh, the Green Lantern specifically, and yeah. um, and it split him into three, and that's probably what also put the strain on his body, right? Mm-hmm. So as he dies, though, the globe is captured by the Lantern with his ring, and mm-hmm. then um, you know they eulogize Joe, the dead Joe, as he dies, and he he does then at the end uh, get some form of um, reward by knowing that you know Billy he trained three heroes who would go on to save the world really uh, yeah. in, in, in many respects and become a part of the, the all-star squadron so that, that sort of gives him a little bit of um, closure there so he dies mm-hmm. and the lantern sends the globe into space you know, yeah. Uh, so then it can go possess something else in the galaxy and yeah. make it evil. You know, like it's already happened twice. Yeah, come on, Lantern. What the hell, idiot? Yeah. What? Well, I don't know what else he could have done with it. But geez, this is just like okay, making the globe someone else's problem, not ours, right? Mm-hmm. So after that, though, <clears throat> uh, we have a prologue, Billy. Now this prologue is very interesting, but it's also very confusing. And this is where it it, it seems a little bit crazy, right, Billy? This whole storyline you know cooked up here by Roy but I I liked it it was a fun experience reading it but this story man it's so strange that you know I I think as an an adult reading it at the time you must have thought like what is Roy doing here was he on some kind of a deadline he just had to come up with something crazy and he took he was watching a film that he watched the three faces of Eve and then he put that together with (laughs) a story that he recently read in Green Lantern (laughs) you know 112 Mm -hmm. and he sort of put that together like you know this is just crazy now what it does do though Billy is it links the Green Lantern from Earth 2 <clears throat> it links him a little bit to the Green Lantern mythology of DC overall, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, as 
some of you listeners might already know, the Guardians of the Universe from Earth-1, when they first became the Guardians uh, on Oa, they decided to purge mm-hmm. all their evil from themselves, and they physically purged it. And, and, and mm-hmm. they uh, sort of, the evil concatenated into this globe, this white globe of energy, and they banished this globe of energy to a world where they had previously banished all magic. Now, Billy, that that the, the magic that they had banished from their universe, that had yeah. taken the form of a lantern. And that mm-hmm. was the very lantern that, you know, um, Alan Scott found and that he carved his ring from, you yeah. know, being an engineer and whatnot. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, he, he had created the lantern ring from this magic lantern that he found and he became the Green Lantern. So that's how, you know, uh, Green Lantern is linked from Earth 2 is linked to Earth 1 a little bit you know he's actually got nothing much to do with the Guardians but it, it stands to reason that if the Guardians never banished all magic in the form of that Lantern to Earth 2 there would not be a Green Lantern of course from Earth right. 2 but then we've got this evil globe which is the evil of all the Guardians wanting revenge on the only link to the Guardians in Earth 2 and that was Green Lantern <laughs> so that's the yeah. reason it attacked him <laughs> And we see the Guardians, this, what, what do you call it, a flashback to when the Guardians in Green Lantern number 112 did, did that, when they mm-hmm. banished evil, their evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if, like, you know, you most people would recognize them. They're these, like, little blue guys, almost dressed like some kind of weird priests or something in these robes or whatever. Cultists. There's like, <laughs> yeah, what, yeah, well, kind of. And what is there, like, a couple dozen of them, isn't there? Uh well no I mean in uh, no? the Bronze Age more yeah I think there were at least hundreds but oh, yeah, um, there you go, yeah. yeah but but you know later on I think yeah they were you know the, they became decidedly less you know I think uh, ton- yeah. the the number was was toned down toned down but you know um arguably they're the most powerful beings in the galaxy right Billy at this time at least mm-hmm. or in DC in the Bronze Age. So yeah. um yeah but they they are they're one of those races that refuse to use their power you know they 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 prefer to act through intermediaries the green lantern core the man hunters and all of those mm-hmm. but um point being is that they yeah they they're very powerful uh but they're just uh, they're like gods they're just sitting there on oa just you know invigilating <laughs> Yeah, they're kind of jerks too. Yeah, they're jerks. I mean, I mean, they even in one storyline, I mean, they they always have problems with Hal Jordan because he never plays by their rules. But in one storyline, they even condemned Superman. They had a trial against Superman because, you know, he was infringing on their territory or you know not doing enough or you know being a danger to the universe. So yeah, super dickery. Yeah, they're definitely. Yeah, that's a lot of super dickery right there. <laughs> Not from Superman's side this time. <laughs> so that's the story basically, right, Billy? And um, then we've got three um, character fact files uh, featuring oh, uh, great art again by Rich Buckler and Roy- and uh, Jerry Ordway. We've got Wonder Woman of Earth Two, the Flash of Earth Two, Green Lantern, Earth Two, Green Lantern, and then the Guardian. And then mm-hmm. it mentions their first appearances. And um, it also mentions a little bit about their origins and uh, special mm-hmm. notes. Wonder Woman's special note is that along with Superman and Batman, uh, 1D is the only superheroine to have her own comic magazine continuously since World War II. So mm-hmm. we knew that. And then mm-hmm. Golden Age Flash 
Uh, he served as the first chairman of the JSA. That's his notes. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, of course, um, fact following Green Lantern, his special note was he was the second chairman <laughs> of the Justice Society, <laughs> though he only served for one full issue of All-Star Comics. And then the Guardian special note, he had his own feature that appeared from first to last as a supporting star of the Newsboy Legion, to mm-hmm. whom, as Jim Harper, in his guise as Jim Harper, he acted as a legal guardian as well. So sort of the father yeah. of the Newsboy Legion. And a great image there, definitely homaging Kirby there by Jerry oh, Ordway yeah. um, mm-hmm. of the Guardian. Now, Billy, I've got some additional information I want to impart here information okay. related to you know the guardian specifically and okay. um, this i got from the all-star uh, companion volume two um, and it says that you know the scene in the guardian's origin during his flashback you know when he told his origin to the all-stars mm-hmm. on that magic glowing yeah. green carpet <laughs> um, it's similar to the 1956 film somebody up there likes me starring paul newman and that was about a boxer called Rocky Graziano, and um, uh, he had a friend, Sal Mineo, as his, you know, boyhood friend, um, you know, Leo, you know, the Leo that we discussed in the origin with, with uh, Jim Harper, his boyhood oh, friend, yeah. and the name Leo was apparently also taken by Roy from a guy called Leo Gorsi, who was the leader of the East Side Bowery Boys in a popular series of movies. You know, right. so Roy took some inspiration there from the film "Somebody Up There Likes Me" with for the Guardians' origin to flesh it out a little bit more, uh, mm-hmm. and then from the Paul Newman film, and then the name Leo from Leo Gorsi, this leader of this uh, famous, you know, East Side Kids in a in this movie series, and then you know you've also got um, you know, more information here about the Guardian flashback. They say that the name, the the the, the name superhero, right, Billy. Uh, supposedly was first used in comics in the Star-Spangled Comics number 7 where, you know, the Guardian first appeared. Simon and Kirby apparently used the name Superhero with the hyphen, the first, you know, and but the the actual uh, term Superhero was in fact first used by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster in a concept sketch from 1936. Wow. So presumably the very first appearance of the the word superhero was in Star Spangled Comics number seven, where the Guardian appeared, and then um, uh, they also use it here in the flashback, right? Believe you remember they uh, mm-hmm. they they use it in that flashback. So this is Roy consciously acknowledging that fact. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but uh, but uh, but we should credit Siegel and Schuster with coming up with that term first, you know, in conjunction with the name For Superman. Sure. They used yeah. it in a 1936 concept sketch. Yeah, and that apparently that's according to Les Daniels' uh, book, Superman, The Complete History. Yeah, cool. so a very interesting bit of uh, factoids there, a bit of trivia for the listeners there uh, regarding, you know, that seminal issue, all that Star Spangled uh, Comics number seven featuring, you know, The Guardian, uh, which is, uh, cool. you know, a comic that I would love to track down. I don't know uh, where it's collected. Maybe one of our listeners could chime in and let us know. I want to get my hands on most of this Golden Age stuff, Billy. It's just never going to happen in its original form, you know. But I just wish DC yeah. would would uh, print more of that era. You know, they, they discontinued their archives line, which is a shame. Mm-hmm. But, um, 
you know, I'm hoping for more reprints from the Golden Age because um, now that we're reading All-Star Squadron, I want to read more All-Star comics, you know, some of the classics. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But that that wraps up the issue for us, right, Billy? A great Mm -hmm. uh, annual, but like I say, the plot was all over the place. It was weird. It was strange. (laughs) It was a a funny way for Roy to acknowledge the fact that this one, these these three characters (laughs) have this this training and it all turned out to be from the same man and then he tied it in with mm-hmm. green lantern and interesting you know um but yeah. uh, a little bit clunky i think uh, story-wise still great dialogue great art so uh, a good a good annual overall i would say great annual uh, as a first annual goes this is a pretty great annual a very entertaining read what about you billy yeah a lot of fun um like i said even though it's a little wacky it still doesn't detract from it you know your enjoyment of the issue and the, like i said the artwork is just you know way way awesome so no it's thumb two thumbs up for me love it yeah definitely man so Billy, uh, with that i think we can head into earth prime archives now as i mentioned earlier you know i prepared something about war bonds specifically this time around because as you know in the beginning of the issue um wonder woman and green lantern and the flash are there at the circus entertaining the crowd but mostly to get them to buy war bonds, not just for entertainment alone. It's a war bond rally. Uh, now, what were war bonds specifically, Billy? They, I mean, most of the listeners might know this already. The U.S. government has used war bonds many times in its history. Uh, they're, it's essentially like a loan to the government to help mm-hmm. fund the war. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes wars, like modern-day wars, these days are just you know there's it's taken out of the government budget it's um sort of you know already you know part of the government spending but um back way back when when wars were was a costly affair and the u.s you know needed some extra fiduciary incentives to to fund all of this construction that it was embarking upon they used war bonds now uh, it first came into prominence i believe during world war one uh, when mm-hmm. the U.S. started selling what they called Liberty Bonds. And they, of course, were marketed to play on American sense of duty, you know, patriot- patriotism. And uh, they had slogans associated with these Liberty Bonds, like, if you can't enlist, invest. <laughs> or, you know, buy a Liberty <laughs> Bond, defend your country with your dollars. <laughs> you know, and it worked. <laughs> you know, you even had some famous guys like, you know, Chaplin and the like, you know, Hollywood stars and... They would even uh, do short films encouraging people to to buy these war bonds. And uh, the way a war war bond worked is uh, you would buy the bond for... They were sold, you know, at maybe 75% of their value. And then they had a 2.9% interest rate or something like that. So, you know, if you buy a a $1,000 war bond, you would actually spend uh, $750 on that war bond. And then it would eventually be returned to you, um, you know, as a thousand dollar war bond plus added interest, you know. So, um, in fact, this was phenomenally successful, right, Billy, because um, they would Mm -hmm. add more and more war bonds. At first, they just had twenty five dollars, fifty dollars, hundred and a five hundred and a thousand dollar war bond that they sold. But they would eventually uh, have larger ones up from five thousand dollars up to ten thousand for more wealthy, you know, investors. Uh, now, it doesn't actually give you a great return, right, Billy? So, like, let's say, for instance, you held on to your right. war bonds from the 1940s. Um, I think if you bought, like, a $1,000 war bond, you know, in 1940 or something, it would be probably worth, like, $90,000 now. So that sounds good. 
But um, you know, if you compare that to other investments you could have done, other bonds that you could have bought back then, now it would be worth millions for the same amount. You know, so war bonds are actually not a good investment to hold on to. Uh, but um, for the for the government, it worked out because they got this huge influx of cash from people buying war bonds to fund the uh, you know war. Now let me give an example. They say that you know during World War II, uh, which was four years that the U.S. specifically spent in the war, uh, and there were of course millions of soldiers uh, manufacturing countless ships and aircraft carriers and tanks and weapons and other equipment. The cost for all of that would be 4.1 trillion US dollars Oof. if you adjust it to today's currency you know yeah. adjusted to today that's that's a lot of money just spent on World War two for four years so they needed obviously they needed funds and war bonds was the one of the ways they they, they got the, the funds they needed so um, because of the patriotism angle and you know many Americans did in fact purchase the war bonds over 85 mm. million Americans in mm. fact they complied. And that means that during World War II, they purchased $185 billion in war bonds. Oof. Yeah. So, Crazy. you know, now remember, Billy, that was only back then. Now, nowadays, wars are funded by, you know, increasing the U.S.'s foreign debt. And in fact, other countries too. But of course, the U.S. specifically, they increase the foreign debt. That's how they they don't really rely on war bonds now because you can't really no. rely on people to buy war bonds nowadays because uh, you know war is not a clear black and white affair anymore these days, right? You've got two polarizing sides, you know, arguing whether the war should be fought at all, you know. But but back in World War Two, it was pretty cut and dry, you know, why they had to go to war. You know, so uh, very interesting, right, Billy, about the, the war bonds and how they got people to buy it. And, um, you know, there were also other uh, ways of, of getting things done. They had scrap drives where Americans were um, urged to, to turn in all of their scrap metal. And, in fact, even metal that there wasn't in use, you know, like even some, some cars that they just weren't using. If they had two cars, which wasn't, you know, uh, common in those days. But let's say you had, you would be urged to turn in your one car for use by the government or they would melt down any scrap metal you had in order to to make bullets and you know um, uh, shells and stuff like that so you know there are many other ways of funding the war but war bonds were certainly one of the most successful ways back then so um, yeah mm -hmm. interesting right Billy uh, about war bonds and um, yeah it's um, uh, what happened in the beginning of this issue and when I was a kid I was wondering like how do how do war bonds work exactly <laughs> you know I didn't mm. really but yeah it's basically like the the government you know asking you to uh, you know well they're they're debt it's debt that's being sold by the government which is which is mm -hmm. interesting right Billy so um, mm -hmm. And of course, it's being marketed as an investment opportunity. So you're thinking, oh, you're going to get your money back. And you do get your money back. You know, of course, it's not a, a significant amount that, that you make on this bond. But, it, but it's interesting, you know, that the U.S. would do this. Um, so it's a loan to the government. You are loaning money as a, as a citizen of the country to the government to help them to fund a war. That's the, the essential, <laughs> you know, um, idea behind a war bond. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, that's it for Earth Prime Archives, folks. Uh, the, the next episode will be have a more action-packed Earth Prime Archive, which I know some of the listeners are clamoring for, more related mm -hmm. to the war and uh, events during the war. But, Billy, we've got some feedback again. 
Um, I think mm-hmm. two iTunes reviews that we promised we'd get to during the last episode. We're going to do that now. I'm going to hand mm-hmm. that over to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just didn't have time to get to them last time. That was it, or else we would have. We weren't trying to skip out on anything. But yeah, we actually got two of them. And the first one is from back in um, March 15th. And it's uh, from. Our buddy Sean Ross, Nerdy Love 1997. <laughs> and he says, I love the All-Star Squadron, so I was already excited for the show, but it's even better than I hoped. Billy and Herman are excellent hosts, as always, and have made me dive back into World War II and my favorite heroes. It is an, a coincidence that DC brought the Justice Society back into continuity soon after the show started. Hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was from Sean. Yeah, we love Sean. Sean's a good guy. I've got another... Uh, little thing coming up with him soon uh keep an eye on on keep an eye out for that too <laughs> yeah magazines and monsters related just to address what sean mm-hmm. said there you know billy i wasn't even aware because i'm not reading modern day dc i wasn't even aware that they brought the justice society back into continuity mm-hmm. um uh so interesting that he mentioned that yeah i should read more modern day dc stuff i just you know i don't know i've fallen off of buying uh comics i do buy every now and then you know when i go in uh, but i've got you know, no regular DC series, I think, that I'm picking up at the moment other than the Crime Syndicate, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> I mentioned that on a, on a, uh, another show that you and I do, Into the Weird. But, um, yeah, I should uh, have a look and see what's happening in their titles again, you know, to find out. And then we can add some extra content to this show. But mostly I'm, I'm steering clear of buying new comics um, most of the time. You know, I'll, I'll go in the store and if something looks interesting, I'll pick it up. But I'm just focusing now on filling up my back issue collections, buying trades of, you know, particular storylines that I've loved and, and picking up some hardcovers every now and then. Mm-hmm. So thanks for that, Sean. We'll definitely check that out. The The reintroduction of the Justice Society in DC. That's always, uh, I, I'm, I have to see what's going on there. Yeah, I definitely want to read. I've heard a lot of people talk about the uh, JSA stuff that came out uh, somewhere around is it 2000 early 2000s or 1999 oh yeah 2000? with jeff johns uh yeah i i love oh billy you should pick that up they've got them in collections these days i think it's just called yeah. uh, jeff johns's jsa jsa by jeff johns and uh great a fantastic uh storytelling great art uh you have to pick that up man it's definitely it's a must yeah, it's gotten rave reviews from everybody but um i'll have to check that out but okay now the second one we got was uh and it was called All Star Podcast by Ra Tassetti. <laughs> uh, it, it says, I was listening to the Justice Society podcast. Shag said there was a new All Star Squadron podcast. I panicked. Immediately, I stopped my forklift, looked for the name of it, and popped up immediately. I started listening, then noticed the voices sounded familiar. I said to myself, This sounds like the guys from Into the Weird. <laughs> 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 that is already an excellent show and with so much compassion and love for the subject i found this podcast on april 11th a date that will live in memory i finished all seven episodes <laughs> the host from south africa you have a voice so compelling you can explain pouring water to get people and they will listen <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a compliment man thanks rata city Appreciate it, yeah, bud. The other ho- yeah, he says, the other host is knowledgeable in the subject matter, which makes it a must-listen. I hope you cover the young all-stars. I can't get enough of this podcast. For a man who has over 150 long boxes, it's hard to get excited, but your podcast has done it. You guys have a great time making this wonderful podcast. Thank you for your enthusiasm 
and entertainment. So that was really awesome. <laughs> wow, that's great, man. That's a fantastic review. Thanks for the compliment there. Yeah, actually, we're definitely going to cover the Young All-Stars, Billy, aren't we? Because we're, we're, we're thinking of doing a, a few Infinity Inc. issues as well as the Young All-Stars. We'll definitely do that as it appeared in continuity, you know, at the end once All-Star mm -hmm. uh, Squadron has wrapped up. But, you know, lots of people... Uh, dump on that series. I love that that series. Um, there's some great uh, art, great moments in that series, and of course, it it sort of petered out at the end and became something completely different than what it set out to be. But um, I'm thinking we need to include that mm -hmm. uh, if you're if you're willing, Billy. And then, uh, of course, yeah, uh, to mention, you know, that uh, Rata City heard about us on you know Justice Society Presents, where Shag mentioned us. We have to thank the Fire and Fort Order Network guys for that. And I also want to point everyone listening to the recent episode that they put out. You're probably already listening to it um, on Justice Society Presents where they covered the um, animated movie, Justice Society mm -hmm. World War II, which I mentioned during our last episode, right, Billy? And they mm -hmm. do a thorough and a very professional review, but a lot of fun <laughs> of that movie. And, um, yeah, you, you guys should check that out. But check out everything that they are putting up on that Justice Society Presents uh, feed mm -hmm. because it's all worth it. And, um, you know, so far, you know, I'm learning a lot from those guys as well, just from, you know, general JSA discussions. And uh, mm -hmm. also they, they cover a lot of the modern things, right? I'm, I'm really looking yeah. forward to Ryan Daly doing the Sandman. I think they're going to do Sandman Mystery Theater, which is one of my yes. favorite series from the 90s, right? Billy, you, you read it too, right? I think Grant, my old pal, our old friend from Into the Weird, Grant also loves that series. Holy mm -hmm. God, if they do that, I'll, my, you know, it'll be heaven. My life will be complete. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, and then we also got an email from uh, our good buddy Martin Gray. Um, he said, uh, cheers for another splendid show. As regards to issue number 12, Anton Haster did indeed reappear in the most recent Hawkman series. And it was very well done as we got to a happy ending for the Halls or Halls or whoever. <laughs> <laughs> and he wrote the whoever with the H as well. <laughs> yeah, H-double-O, yeah. So, yeah, he's always uh, loves uh, poking fun at some of the crazier stuff with uh, DC's lore. But then he said that as for issue 13... The lack of Ordway was stark, but Mike DiCarlo did a good job by any normal standards. Superb cover from Joe Kubert, and that photo background was fab. I absolutely adore New Teen Titans style Day in the Life issues. Um, and then he said, boy, Steel's ex-Gloria moved on pretty quickly. I'd have turned up the melodrama and revealed she married that guy because when Hank went missing, she found she was pregnant by him. <laughs> and so Hank was a, has a baby in the next room. Can you imagine that? That would have been wild. <laughs> Man, you know, Martin's got some good ideas. I'm really, I mean, if you listen to his comments for other shows as well, he's got some great, you know, uh, mm -hmm. he's got a good imagination. I would love it if Martin, you know, decides to become a comic book writer or something because you could get some excellent stories from him. You well, know, you and, know and that, would, that yeah? would make total sense too because back then, an unwed mother would have been like, you know, yeah. frowned upon. Yeah. So if she, she, uh, probably a woman probably did just, you know, find a halfway decent guy to marry quick. So people weren't like throwing rocks at them and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, man. Yeah. I, it would totally make sense. Yeah. You know, I also love yeah. the fact that in his email, he still keeps calling, uh, Commander Steel Steel. <laughs> Remember because he hates the <laughs> commander tag on. So yeah, yeah, he's gonna keep doing it. He's gonna keep calling 
uh, Firebrand Brandy is gonna keep call her, you know, calling her Firebrand and gonna keep calling Steel mm-hmm. Commander Steel Steel. <laughs> I love that about Martin. And then you know mm-hmm. he brings up some good points. Uh, you know, especially when he mentions that you know, um, you know the, the JSA signing up for regular war duties is idiotic, right, Billy? <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's kind of. If you really think about it, it is. It kind of is. I mean, if you think it in the golden age. The only reason they did that, well, not the only reason, but one of the reasons was to get the soldiers who read the comics to feel that, hey, the JSA have, they're doing their part. They've signed up as well. They're part of the military forces because after all, it's sort of a way to get the readers of the comic to also want to sign up, you know, for the war effort, you know, like exactly it's propaganda but you know uh, yeah i'm not saying it's a good thing it's just you know also makes the gis feel comfortable when they read it over Mm -hmm. there and it and the readers back home it makes them feel like hey my favorite character's signing up i should do that i should do that too but it's not a bad thing no that that part is understandable but you know the fact that in you know this fictional universe they've created that this is a thing (laughs) that is kind of moronic (laughs) if you think about it Billy, because they can do so much better not having to worry about, you know, um, reporting for duty and going AWOL. In fact, they do mm-hmm. go AWOL. Like, especially poor <laughs> Al Pratt. He was kidnapped while he was on a train by that glowing ball being shipped out, right? To mm-hmm. what? He's going to the Philippines or something, right? So, yeah, man, I, I'm saying that they could, like, dispense with all this hassle and just get the president, President Roosevelt, to to get them to to have carte blanche and where they want to be deployed and what they want to do. I mean, didn't Starman already pull some strings with the president to get himself fast-tracked as a pilot of a, of a bomber squadron, right? Yeah. <laughs> we discussed that. So. Why why don't the rest of them do it? But you know, they probably want to, you know, prove their worth as, you know, just regular people too. Uh, seeing how far they can make it in this war. I mean, we know that they're still carrying all their gear around with them, so when things mm-hmm. get hot and heavy, they'll probably pull out their JSA regalia and start saving lives that way. But, you know, I'm just thinking, Billy, you know, it is kind of what Martin says. It's ridiculous that <laughs> they signed up for regular service. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make sense just because from a standpoint of you would be able to do, you know, more for the war effort as your, you know, superhero persona and as a team of superheroes than you would be just oh, one guy flying a plane and another guy in a tank somewhere else. You know what I mean? That doesn't make sense. Yeah, I mean, that that makes FDR's decision so much more, you know, salient and, um, you know, so much more logical and intelligent because he saw the use of that. So he sent Plastic Man over to the JSA headquarters to to do that. But the Justice Society had already disbanded and joined the military, so it's too late for that. Luckily, you know, the president got a hold of the All-Star Squadron well, I mean, mm-hmm. the, the members that, you know, the, the mystery men that were around at the time that were available yeah. and they became the All-Star Squadron with, of course, many of the JSA, uh, you know, as part of the team. And and mm-hmm. that worked for Roy as well because now he could focus on other Golden Age characters, not just the main ones. And then the main ones would eventually, you know, make appearances, which mm-hmm. which is great. You know, that's what I love about this series, that you have this this wide focus cast on all of these interesting characters from the Golden Age. And then... You know, Roy could basically do what he wants in the sandbox of his, right? He could pick, Mm -hmm. you know, like you said, like Martin mentioned, a day in life issue. He could do that, you know, to get us to to like the characters even that little bit more by focusing Mm -hmm. on their personal lives. And then he could also do a spotlight issue just featuring one character, which will happen later on. 
uh, or mm -hmm. just two or three characters at the same time. And he could go back and spotlight the characters who started it all uh, in yeah. the, the preview of All-Star Squadron in JLA 193. So, man, mm -hmm. I love that about this. It's like Roy could do whatever he wanted. <laughs> you know, DC gave mm -hmm. him complete autonomy. Carte you know? blanche. Yeah. yeah, to do what he wants. So, so great comments there from Martin yet again. And uh, oh, yeah. he, he when he said, like, you know, well done, Shira, for for bringing up the fact that this it's it's idiotic that they should join regular <laughs> war duties again. And yeah. he said Carter obviously was irked, but it didn't stop that mid-air smooch. <laughs> and we know and after it, that they spent some quality time together in the Shira's mansion. So, yeah, yeah. they were probably not going to let this offhand comment ruin their, you know, brief time together. But still, <laughs> he must have been irked because, hey, the truth hurts, buddy. <laughs> it takes mm -hmm. a woman to sometimes point that out, right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, so thanks, Martin, once again for some great comments. And thanks to our two iTunes reviewers. That was some pretty good iTunes reviews. Yeah, you love getting those because it does help with you know, getting the eyes on your stuff on there. So thank you very much for that. Yeah, now, Billy, I want to mention something before we wrap this up. I'm on iTunes, but I have a big problem leaving reviews for shows because I'm signed on to the Taiwan store. You know, that's, mm -hmm. you know, also through my credit card with iTunes and my iTunes account here. I can't leave mm -hmm. any reviews that show up on the U.S. store. You know, so I've left reviews on the iTunes stores for the shows I love, but I can't review. I know you're not actually, you know, you don't, you're not an Apple subscriber, so you can't actually leave iTunes reviews. I just want to let all the shows and people that we support out there know that we, you know, it's difficult for me to leave an iTunes review. I would love to, you know... <laughs> do that if I could that it could show up on the US store and affect you know listeners ability like that I'm hoping it would here in Taiwan I doubt it you know because the people here they're, <laughs> they're all interested in ESL you know podcasts to learn English you know uh, or right. you know in Chinese language podcasts so but yeah so I just want to mention that and that's probably why our reviews from Into the Weird doesn't always show up on on the US um you know iTunes feed so sorry about that I apologize but thanks for all the great reviews you've left us over the the years on Into the Weird and now the great reviews we've gotten on the World on Fire podcast yeah definitely a big thank you to everybody that's given us likes and retweets there's a lot of people that do that for us on the show and constantly are just you know I'll try to and I'm not as active as I want to be on that account on Twitter I'll try to be better but I usually throw out an image or two every week and I always get, you know, good responses from everybody, you know, a lot of our uh, new friends from this show and then a lot of our uh, friends that we've had from Into the Weird and forever on Twitter. So, yeah, big thank you to everybody for all the love out there. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Billy. So just to remind the listeners again, where is our Twitter account and what is our email address where they could send uh, feedback to if they wanted to do so? Yeah, so if you want to look the show up on Twitter, it's at All Squadron, and then the email is a world on fire podcast at gmail.com if you want to uh, email us. That's right, and you and I are on Twitter as well, Billy. I'm at Dark Longbox, and our other show at Into Weird, and you're at Billy Delicious <laughs> with uh, <laughs> Peter Cushing as your avatar there. So mm -hmm. that's normally how we engage with, with everybody and listeners, and feel free to DM us as well if, if email's not your thing. And uh, we'll always feature that on the show. So uh, much appreciated to all our listeners, Billy. So I'm, again, going to mm -hmm. uh, have a send-off here for us by uh, using a famous quote from one of mm -hmm. the greats. And that's going to be our send-off for this week. But for now, that's bye from me. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again in two weeks' time. 
All right, take care, everybody. See ya. I'm sorry, but I don't want to be a, an emperor. That's not my business. I don't want to rule or conquer anyone. I should like to help everyone if possible. Jew, Gentile, black man, white. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. We don't want to hate and despise one another. In this world, there's room for everyone, and the good earth is rich and can provide for everyone. The way of life can be free and beautiful, but we have lost the way. Greed has poisoned men's souls, has barricaded the world with hate, has goose-stepped us into misery and bloodshed. We have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. Our knowledge has made us cynical, our cleverness hard and unkind. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. More than cleverness, we need kindness and gentleness. Without these qualities, life will be violent and all will be lost. 